Today on Off Topple Empire, indictments handed down in the latest fraud scheme around the nation's capital involving one Mike Loxley. A fatty whopping occurs in Madison, but not in the direction you'd expect. Various Big Ten empires strike back against the rebel scum. Today on Off Topple Empire. Your source for Big Ten talk, it's Off Tackle Empire! Welcome back to Off Tackle Empire, the only college football podcast that's centered around the greatest lake in the world, which is, of course, Lake Michigan. Uh, really, the Midwest is what we supposedly anchored the Big Ten around, but it's really all about Lake Michigan. It's the best lake, and if you think otherwise, you are wrong. The other great lakes are pretty great themselves, but everybody knows that the best is Michigan. Lake Superior is pretty, but it's also, like, it'll kill you if you try to be in it or on a boat on it, so... Yeah, I, all things considered. Are you saying that it wrecks Fitzgerald's? Are you saying Lake Superior is extremely Nebraska right now? Uh, I am Steve Braun, a.k.a. Thumbsaurus. I am here with my colleague Andrew Krzyzewski, and we are here talking about Week 5 of Big Ten action. Uh, and having just been to the shores of our great Lake Michigan, I'm going to crack open a Win Fight Tribe Rooster of the Week, which is from Tanglewood Winery, just north of Holland. Michigan. It's a beach bum blueberry, uh, some sort of an effervescent blueberry brewberry. And the thing that this is, is it's very bubbly, it's effervescent, it's very rich in blue. And uh, there are not one, but two extremely blue teams that are feeling extremely bubbly and strong right now. And it's fall, it's early October, it's a great time to be one of those. We'll see how well. Those hold up to freezing conditions. All the blueberries already got harvested. And with the calendar now turning to October, you see all the traditional fall things hitting there. You know, the the pumpkin spice latte paraphernalia making its way onto social media. The leaves changing colors. The weather getting a nice tang crisp to the air. And Maryland football completely falling to pieces. Yep. Maryland being, in fact, the pumpkin. Right, because you mentioned pumpkin spice, and then also things that are flavored like pumpkin, because those are, of course, two completely different things. And um, I'm not going to lie, I was really confused by so many people picking Maryland in this one. Yeah. Not because I think I necessarily know better, but just because when you look at what Maryland does well, what's good about Maryland, it's a really bad matchup for what Iowa... I mean, when you think Iowa right now, you think of defense, especially the secondary, right? You, yeah. think of, you think of dominant secondary play and being able to win the point of attack and c- control the line of scrimmage. And that just spells disaster when you look at how Maryland has moved the ball this year. Yeah, and so I caught enough of this game, and as... I, first of all, I understand that seeing something like the injury Dante Dimas sustained to a teammate during a game is an emotional thing that's going to shake you. But it is the job of the coaches in that situation to help their team through that, put it behind them and make the next play, instead of just staring at the car while the plume of smoke gets heavier and heavier and then it bursts into flame with all the kids inside. What was Loxley, what were Loxley and his staff doing? During this game, where they just let things get this bad that fast, you got you you don't have any kind of steadying 
talk, you can get called time out. Like, I mean, I don't really know what you could do in that situation. I mean, we, the man okay, said, so, you know, you know who said it best, right? Everybody's got a plan till they get punched in the face. Sure, but you know what this reminded me of was a game. It was a long time ago now. Do you remember the player Kevin Kraft? Not really. He's a quarterback at UCLA, and I don't even remember who they were playing. It was either like a, an early season non-coverage game or some meaningless bowl or something. I don't remember why this sticks out in my head, but you see, I think this was like, this might have been the Jim Moore Jr. era or maybe even earlier than that. So it was a while ago now. But he was a quarterback for UCLA, and he threw like four interceptions in the first half against whoever they were playing. And... The film got like they're looking at the highlights in the halftime, and I don't know. It, this might have been when like Jesse Palmer was still doing games, so you, that's, that'll tell you how long ago it was. Because I'm pretty sure it was him who's looking at, it and he's like, "Yeah, so they're making this guy do this throw where you have to put it over a linebacker in front of a safety, and he just can't do it. That, he's throwing the same interception on the same defensive scheme every time, and that was this game again. Because so I was like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, where have I seen this before? Because on at least two interceptions, Tonga Vailoa is trying to throw it to a guy where there is a linebacker between him and his target, and he throws it in such a way that if a linebacker, even if a linebacker doesn't look, it's going to like hit them in the head. And he has kept throwing it like that. And neither he nor the offensive coordinator nor anybody thought to like look at what they were seeing and be like, hey, so what we're trying to do here is just not going to work, whether because he, he can't make the throw or he doesn't know that he needs to make that throw. That you know, Again, Iowa plays a lot of zone. These linebackers are going to be in spots where they're looking. Um, and there's the battle, right, between doing what you do well versus trying to do something new that might be more effective. And in Maryland's case, that's what they've done well. But like I said on the preview, they hadn't faced a defense like this. They hadn't faced linebackers like this that, that were going to be this good in pass coverage. So, you know what game it reminded me of? Indiana against Iowa from sure. week yeah. one. I, I mean, guess, you don't have to go probably, back that far. Probably, you have a quarterback yeah. who'd impressed a lot of people, uh, suddenly just turning into a pumpkin in the face of uh, tremendous pressure and a really difficult assignment and throwing a bunch of picks. And also the coaching staff having kind of no alternative because this guy's the leader and it's not like you have anybody more effective you can bring in. It's not like it's even really 100% his fault. It's just... The team's not capable of doing the things that would have moved the ball. I don't know about that. I think honestly, they were winning at the end of the first quarter, and they get. Do you want guess how many carries their top two running backs had between them in this game? Just guess. I'd say like ten. Seven. Yeah. They gave Jacobs and Fleet Davis a total of seven carries between them. Um, that's giving up on the run way too early and before you have to. And look. <laughs> I understand once you fall behind by a certain margin, you feel like, oh, well, we have to pass to keep up. But no, Iowa scored 31 points in the second quarter. At any point in those turn in that string of turnovers Maryland kept giving back to them, they could have composed themselves and said, look, there's a lot of game left here. We have game-breaking athletes. We can figure out ways to get them the ball. That doesn't involve putting it in the hands of a quarterback who's who's having the worst game of his life. You know, speaking of which... So much for the Tolia Tungavailoa silver football campaign that I had started. Yeah. Boy, I got him bad with putting him on my fantasy team this year. It took a couple weeks for for that disease to fully metastasize, but he has lived the full Krzyzewski fantasy football experience now. Man, I'll tell you another thing that you, that you were uh, wrong. Oh, I'm not picking on you. It was just I was just kind of stunned by this, is that... Maryland did focus pretty well on the running game and made Spencer Petrus beat them, and he did. 
What kind? They, they held I mean, Goodson to 66 yards on 19 carries. I mean, Ivory Kelly Martin was more explosive out of the backfield on eight carries. But the point is, down to down, especially in the early going, they were really sold out on the run. Uh, especially the you know the kind of inside power stuff that I would still attribute a lot more of that to their overall failure to emotionally brace themselves because they did their defense didn't respond well to the sudden turn situation that <laughs> the offense would turn the ball over the defense would give up the score very quickly and I get again I know that they've got a lot of younger guys on defense but it's not it's not like Iowa overwhelmed them so when you say that Peters beat them. Yeah, he ended up with, what, 250-something through the air and a few touchdowns, but it's not exactly like he was ever in stressful situations. He gets the ball on Maryland's side of the field, and they're selling out to stop the run. So, yes, he did what was asked of him, what was necessary, and he ran it in a couple times, which I don't think I've ever seen him run for positive yardage before this game. So. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, though. If it's you, if you right make those mistakes, if you turn it over against Iowa, and you know you got to be able to respond very quick because... You know, you find yourself leading at the end of the first quarter, and then 10 minutes later, Iowa's dropping potty bombs on you. <laughs> I was so, hitting you with a potty bomb. So look, I was aware of of Iowa's fullback, uh, Monty, Monty potty bomb. Bomb. But I assumed, reading that name as a native speaker and reader of the English language, that the E was going to be kind of gently said in that. Potty bomb. Right. And then Kevin Harlan's calling this game, and he just... He, he's, and There's going to be a touchdown by Potty Bomb! And I'm <laughs> laughing my ass off here by myself with your dogs. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, so, anyway, I'm I'm much out of... Look, I Potty Bomb left an upper decker in the Maryland secondary! <laughs> or wherever he got in. Rob, I assume it was a goal line situation. That was, yeah, I think the couple of carries I saw them give him were both pretty close into the goal line. But you you know it's a bad game when Iowa's giving the ball their fullbacks because they always have one, but they don't often actually give him the ball unless it's a, a situation like this where everything's out of hand and they just want to give that guy a, a little bit of sugar. So I always, yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah, I'm, I'm much edified now to know that I can say potty bomb and it's not totally wrong. It's apparently pretty close to accurate, so... Yeah, anyway, it, it, no updates yet as far as I could find on what Dante Demas's condition is. He would be a huge loss for Maryland's offense, it goes without saying. They still have Rakim Jarrett, but obviously it becomes much easier to game plan when you can just roll your safety towards him and not have to worry about somebody on the other side to the same extent. And I know they have other capable receivers and athletes, but nobody but who's, nobody who's doing anything like Demas was. He was a decent candidate for receiver of the year, even given some outstanding performances by other guys. So, big loss. Hopefully, he's able to come back. Because yeah, whenever you see something like that, you're like, oh, shit, he's out for the season, no question. But we've seen guys come back. At, you know, Maybe he's got the Giannis ligaments or something and will end up being just fine. So, for Iowa, obviously, you're satisfied with this result. I don't know how you could not be. The volume of turnovers may not be sustainable, but that your offense is now showing a little more inclination to actually do things with them, I think is obviously a great sign. Sets them up for a huge showdown next week. Absolutely does. And the other Iowa, Wisconsin, against the other other Iowa, Michigan. How many Iowas are in this damn conference? And there's really shitty Iowa, which is Northwestern. And extremely shitty Iowa, which is Illinois. 
Um, oh, and also now, like, suddenly Iowa by circumstance, Minnesota. <laughs> and baffling Iowa cosplay in Purdue? Um, I don't know that that one's necessarily sticks quite as much, but... Rutgers is also quite Iowa. They are indeed. We have to develop a full continuum here. But uh, Michigan, Michigan, Iowa, 38, Wisconsin, Iowa, 17. Uh, the University of Iowa at Michigan, 38. The University of Iowa <laughs> at University, Wisconsin. The University of Iowa at Ann Arbor, sir. Yes. Uh, <laughs> UIAA. So look, props are due here. Even So the tempting thing, the, what my Sparty lizard brain wants me to do is be like, Wisconsin's trash, doesn't mean anything, get good, bro. No, this is an impressive win, even though Wisconsin is definitely not quite the team they used to be. It's Harbaugh's first win as Michigan coach as a Vegas underdog, and very convincingly so. I really like the game plan. Some people are still going to look at it and be like, we should throw the ball more. Got to get JJ involved. Got to throw the ball down the field, bro. No, they did what they needed to do to mix things up and keep a very good run defense from attacking the line of scrimmage. Uh, They called the flea flicker early on that worked for a deep touchdown that was very well-timed. You can see... A little bit of an inclination that that connection with Cornelius Johnson could be a decent replacement for losing Ronnie Bell. Uh, they go for it on fourth down twice on the first drive. And even though they didn't get it the second time, I really liked the mindset of... They were four for five for fourth down yeah. during the game. Yeah, and, like I said, they, and they go for it twice on the first drive of the game when they have the ball. So. When you have an offense like Michigan's that is kind of plodding but steady then you better be in the mindset to go for it on fourth down often because if you're, you don't, yeah. you're going to make do three, a lot of you're make three yards of play a number yeah. of times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it also sent a little bit of a subliminal to Wisconsin, which is, yeah, your offense is shit and we know it. We're not afraid of what you're going to do if we give you the ball near midfield. It's demoralizing when you allow... Especially, yeah, it's especially demoralizing if your opponent turns out to be right about that. Because yeah. sure enough... When, Wisconsin, when Michigan turned the ball over on downs, Wisconsin didn't do anything with it. On the ne- I think it was on the next possession, they hit the flea flicker for the touchdown. And as soon as I saw Johnson catch, I was like, yeah, Michigan's winning probably by a couple scores. So, um, But I really liked the tone that they took. It was, it was more of a, no, we're, we're here to take this game. We're not going to hope that it decides to jump into our lap like a friendly cat. Because that approach has generally not led them to much success in the past. So it's a good win for Michigan. It's... I think I don't know what there's left in the way of doubt here. Again, it's fair to say that they still somehow have not faced an offense worth facing. Western Michigan's good, but well, how many of those are there even in the Big Ten anymore? I think in the East Division, at least three. Yeah, but I think in the West Division, roughly zero. At this uh, point. We'll see about their game next week and see if that's still the case. We will indeed. So. What Wisconsin did on the ground was uh, taking out the sack. So that's 25 carries for about 75. So it's about three yards per carry, which yeah, the sack, the numbers with the sacks are, are horrifying. But Graham, even without yeah. them, it's still three yards per carry, which is not enough. No, and keep in mind, so Graham Mertz is, gonna, is the headline problem. And, oh, man, what's wrong with this kid? Such a big athlete. You know, and that's all well and good and fine. And please do do that. Send us all of your best... Uh, send us all of your best. It's got him it. stuck yeah. and knocked on back. <laughs> send us all of your best. <laughs> and then ribs. the Mich- and then and then the Michigan defensive end said, "Partner, let's go half on a sack." <laughs> <laughs> 
You, well, that's going to come back to haunt you're, you. You're whole, every time I take a sip of this stuff, you you spit out a line that makes me want to spray your room with a blueberry <laughs> mist. So they, they gave it, the Wisconsin gave a lot of guys carries, and none of them were able to do very much. And I give them a little bit of credit there because it does acknowledge the issue that Kesmalusi has not been the traditional Wisconsin back who not only makes use of the holes open to him, but can make that first guy in the hole miss. But Berger got fried on eight attempts, yeah. 18 yards. At least there's an acknowledgement that they need to find a solution at the tailback position as well. But man, the offensive line play for Wisconsin hasn't been anywhere near the historical standard. You can dunk on Mertz all you want. And again, like I said, I encourage you to because he earned it with that logo and that song. But there's there were plenty of times where he really did not have much time. And it's fair to say, oh, we got to get rid of it, kid. But if you want to complete a pass to convert a long third down, your quarterback needs a little bit of time for the route to get past the sticks, right? So I don't know what the fix is for this offense. They got problems basically everywhere because the receivers are not doing Mertz any favors by creating quick separation or doing a whole lot with the ball after they catch it. So basically no part of this offense works right now. Chris being an offensive guy, Joe Rudolph being a longtime veteran guy who was formerly the offensive line coach, these guys have been involved in Wisconsin's offensive success for a long, long time. But every part of this looks broken right now, and it's it's hard to know where to begin or how they can get things back on track. And Michigan didn't blow them out of the water from a yards per play perspective. Uh, Michigan split the carries between Haskins and Corum, getting a little under three yards per carry themselves. But the point is, they didn't have as many negative plays. They won the turnover battle 3-1. to one. They kept the time of possession going, and they were efficient in passing, going completing 60%, but for 8.4 yards per attempt. Yeah, and, and the difference really was conversion of the big play, which is something that has eluded Wisconsin most of the season and continued to in this game. Even against a defense that stood strong the way Wisconsin's did for most of this game, if your offense is able to crack through and, and not have to go three yards at a time the whole length of the field the way Wisconsin's does right now, it's a lot easier to put points on the board. So. Mertz got blown up by the one true Scotsman, David <laughs> Ojabo. <laughs> yeah, he's he's on the come up too, by the way. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson's going to get a lot of the headlines for that defense, but it helps to have a bookend. And, you know, they've, they've consistently found these guys. They've always had, you know, Uche was another guy a couple years ago. Um, they had Chase Winovich before that. They, yeah, seven sacks is not really going to to get because if you look at then that adds to twenty three passing attempts. That's thirty dropbacks and eleven completions. That's just not gonna. That's yeah. not gonna get it done when you're not overwhelming your opponent with rushing. And ultimately, what what you have to now say is that. Michigan, if you if you give Michigan the floor of being the gatekeeper to are you a good team or not, Wisconsin's not a good team. No, and they'll give them their results. Michigan's to... probably better than that, but they certainly are at least that. Yeah, they're at least that. So, anyway, all things good for Michigan, and I don't know how you fix that if you're Wisconsin, but we'll, uh, let's, let's give you the floor a little bit here and discuss Illinois 24, Charlotte 14. I can't pretend I saw even a play of this game, but tell me what you saw. I mean, look, the box score kind of speaks for itself and that the run game worked, and yet to have a guy go for over 250 and only end up with 24, how does that happen? Well, one of the ways that it happens is um, give him a lot of carries. 
got 26 carries, uh, took one of them 80 yards to the house. Illinois sort of put this game away in the second half, but boy, was this thing ugly early. It was uh, Illinois once Illinois finally scored some points in the first quarter of a game, but it wasn't a touchdown. So that's six games gone, three points in the first quarter. Illinois trailed 14-10 after making it look just so easy to go down the field and score points because it really is. I mean, look at the look at the opposing quarterback stat line: 17 for 23, 191 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick, which was a fantastic uh, play by Keith Randolph, defensive lineman. So had a big man pick. Um, the thing that you know. I was reasonably happy that we won a game, but it's ultimately academic because Charlotte, as discussed, has one of the worst run defenses in the country. Um, I said very early in the game that if Brandon Peters attempts more than 20 passes, we lose the game. He attempted 19. Uh, Brandon Peters was terrible. Uh, There's just no other words to describe it. This is the softest defense he'll face all year. He was god-awful. He went... 10 for 19 for 78 yards, 4.1 yards per attempt, and he threw one touchdown, which really should have been intercepted by at least three different Charlotte defenders. It was just by the grace of Daniel Barker being an incredible athlete and being able to to twist his body all the way back to get it that that he got there. Um, Peters totally missed the read on that play, but... um, Yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely a good recipe to house a Charlotte team with a terrible defense, but... What we did in this game is not going to work because I think Peters went one for five to start the game. So they just said, we're going to pound the ball. They got 47 rushing attempts for 330-something yards. Great game for Chase Brown, who also deserves a lot of credit for fighting through a lot of the secondary. But again, this is this is not a game that to me is indicative of absolutely anything because every team that Illinois plays from here on out has a better defense than any team that they've played <clears throat> prior to this. But, shit, at least we beat a Sunbelt team. I mean, what, what, what else can you say? I'm going to venture the opinion here that beating a Sunbelt team is in fact better than losing to a Sunbelt team. Certainly is. And I'm happy that we won the game, of course. It's just that this doesn't mean anything going forward. Like, True. It had, had, had Peters not looked like absolute trash again, it might have been one thing. Had we, had we not you know, scored the go-ahead touchdown in the second quarter with a couple minutes left, and then just hot knife through butter on the way down for Charlotte to score and take the lead. and you know, Does... Had that kind of shit not happened, I, I would have felt... I feel good about this, but it doesn't make me feel any different about the team going forward. It doesn't move the needle. You mentioned to me earlier today that there are reports going around that Bielema's being considerably harder on Peters this week during practice. Do you think there's any chance, given the way he's performed, that Bielema makes the quarterback change and goes back to Sikowski, even if Peters is healthy? Who knows? I mean, in theory... uh, Peters makes the throws in practice, I guess, better than Sitkowski, but in practice, both of them are terrified to throw over the middle, and I'm not sure that they're wrong to be because they're very bad when they do. Um, That really doesn't work when your main pass-casting options are tight ends 
Uh, it takes away a lot of what you can really do. And a tiny guy who used to be a quarterback. Yeah, that too. So I'd like to be able to work him. In the you know, I, I like the idea of you know Bielema being harder on Peters in practice because <laughs> I, I, I like maybe the idea that instead of Sobert, we get like some kind of a you get Brobert. Yeah, you get Brobert. So maybe he's just sitting there on top of a cooler, you know, hucking full glass bottles of high life at Peters when he when he misses a read badly in practice. Fuck you, kid. You're not costing me this gig. <laughs> Poor. I, no, I picture him just like pouring a full can of beer on Peter's head when he takes his helmet <laughs> off after after a drive that doesn't result in a touchdown in practice. Yeah, I can see that. Well, and, and look, I mean, it, who's who's to say that's that's kind of the version of him that worked at Wisconsin, right? Chase so. Brown had a hell of a day. Happy for him. Kirby Joseph had a hell of a day on defense. Very happy for him. This uh, doesn't move the needle for me at all, though. Understandably so. And like I said, I, I'm. Uh, Again, because After, because I didn't see anything that applies to any of our remaining games. No, and it's going to take some doing to get the coaching performance in those Maryland and Purdue games out of my mind and get me thinking this is going to be anything but a disaster. So I'm not fighting you on that anymore. So let's move on. Minnesota 20, Purdue 13. First thing to note after this game is that I'm not clear if this actually if this happened before the game was over or shortly after, but Trey Potts, the starting running back now for the Gophers, had to be hospitalized with an unknown medical condition. Sounded fairly serious. The athletic director and a couple of the team doctors stayed with him overnight. Um, not really any updates on that as far as I could tell as far before we were recording here. So we certainly hope everything works out there for a guy who has done his part to keep Minnesota's offense on track and hopefully everything will be okay there. But questionable that he would be able to play again in a matter of six or seven days after this sort of episode. So, um, Purdue threw the ball 52 times in this game. Um, and that will often lead to a pretty shootout type of score in many places, but I'll tell you what places it doesn't do that in the weight room, in, in the, the community, community, on the practice field. <laughs> So, um, what have we said a hundred times about Jeff Brom and bad weather games? You know what the lasting impression of this game, one that I'm surprised didn't get a little more traction on social media, especially after Purdue lost, was of the Purdue cheerleader belly flopping into the puddle of standing water on the sidelines. Because Ross Aid <laughs> is a dump. What it, Remind me. What's Purdue supposed to be good at as far as an academic focus? Engineering. You can't figure out how to drain your stadium and build a locker room that, that every opposing coach doesn't bitch about? I'll tell you what's interesting is uh, Green Street, the main Dragon campus town in Champaign, was uh, was kind of a swamp until the 60s when the civil engineers uh, from Illinois uh, drained that stuff. So maybe 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 Purdue needs to invite their neighbor over, uh, you know, invite Illinois back, and maybe. Um, well, no, although that would be bad for the football team. I mean, shit. I wish we'd had this weather when we played them. Yeah, well, consider this. So you you mentioned Brom made the switch to Aiden O'Connell here, and I understand why because the offense with Jack Plummer really wasn't working much. They weren't getting much in the way of big plays, and O'Connell's got a bigger, lot more live arm apparently from what I've seen, but. You get two things with Aiden O'Connell. You get more sacks that are going to kill drives because he doesn't just get sacked for like, oh, loss of three, loss of four. No, he loses like eight, 10, 12 yards on these sacks. Um, and then there's also very frequently 
going to be the really costly interception. And so you mentioned they threw it over 50 times. And O'Connell had a decent complete. He completed 34 out of 52 for over 370 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Minnesota, being their typical selves, threw the ball 18 times. Morgan only completed half of those for over 200 yards fewer. Their QBRs are basically identical. So yep, from a statistical what's standpoint, what's the difference in this game really? The interception. It's the, the, well, it's the, the extra turnovers. possession. It's the two extra possession. Two turnovers yeah. to zero turnovers. Purdue gained 28 first downs to Minnesota's 12, outgained them by 150 yards, but the extra possessions and Minnesota being able to do something with them because they could run the ball a little better. Yeah, that's that I think is the thing that kind of clicked into place for me when I'm thinking, like, why is Brom so bad in one-score games? Why is he so bad in bad weather games? It's because Purdue has never been able to run the ball effectively with him since the two running backs he inherited from Hazel left. When he had DJ Knox and Markel Jones, they were functional on the ground, and the offense hit basically its max production. He had and Man, his- what, a, what, a, what a shame that a decent defensive performance by Purdue who has really stepped up on the other side of the ball this yeah. year, is going to waste. It is. Yeah, they look a lot better. And I look, it's true that they've had a good number of injuries, and a lot of those have been to their skill guys on offense. But the guys there, like David Bell is back in this game. He looked perfectly good. Um, they've gotten a resurgent performance this year from Milton Wright, a guy who's sometimes been kind of a forgotten guy. So that they have such problems putting the ball in the end zone I really think speaks to the consistent problem they've had, which is in developing a strong offensive line. That's really the one starting group. Like everywhere else, they have some depth issues here and there. They've gotten worn down a little bit by defense. You know, to be honest, I thought Minnesota was going to win this game by more because I thought their rushing attack would really grind Purdue down towards the end of the game. But no, I credit Purdue's defense for holding up here. Yeah. What happened was that Purdue took 448 yards of offense and 28 first downs and turned them into 13 points and zero after halftime. And that's, you, you just can't yeah. do that. I mean, that's it, it, it's unfortunate because Purdue still looks better than they've looked the last couple of years. But Minnesota looked pretty vulnerable in this game. Purdue could have won this game. And that feels like it's going to really come back to haunt Purdue. No, and again, for a guy who's viewed as an offensive mind who develops very aesthetically pleasing offensive schemes a lot of the time, has all these talented pieces... 13 points in back-to-back conference games. You're not beating many teams, even in the Big Ten West. Like that's that's probably not good enough to beat Northwest. Minnesota and Illinois are the two worst defenses in the Big Ten West. Yeah. They absolutely are. And you put up 13 yeah, points well, on each of them. Well, Northwestern. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> um. Well, I guess I haven't seen the latest. I mean, I bet Nebraska will skew that quite a lot. Yeah, um, well, okay. So statistically speaking, you're probably still right. But yeah, coming into this week anyway... Uh, and here's another thing. Jeff Brom has never defeated P.J. Fleck at Purdue. Right. And given that they were, that they're in the same coaching class, I think there's a natural tendency. I think they were one year apart. No, they're in the same class. They're in the same class. Yeah, I thought it was Frost that came a year after both of them. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Yeah, that's... Uh, you got to win more games if you're, if you're Brom. This has to be a bowl season. It has to be. Doesn't and it? Doesn't you, it? You're going to have to now win one that was, you know, get one that maybe you didn't think was gettable before because this sure as hell was a gettable one. 
Yeah, I will say. And, but and the other thing is though, the it's the weather, man. Yeah, and I, when and your I, team just cannot cope with this kind of weather, and you play in West Lafayette, Indiana, you're gonna have a bad time. I do. I think it was a little more incidental this time, though, because it's true that this was a bad weather game and they lost. But it's not like they turned the ball over five times, couldn't move it at all. Like you said, they had over well over 400 yards of total offense. Big edge on Minnesota in that department. It was just a matter of converting when they had the opportunities. They couldn't do it. And, again, some credit to Minnesota's defense here, which for the second week in a row has done what was necessary. Well, I guess they didn't last week. But uh, they've, they've not been the problem. Uh, very. So, I, I think about where Minnesota was a couple years ago and even last year. And if you were to fast forward to where we are now and find that actually the Minnesota defense is the strong side and now you've got big problems with this offense scoring given what we saw from the offense a couple of years ago. I mean, it, it's just... A, it, everything, it's, everything is in the topsy-turvy there. So. And it's credit to Minnesota's defense as well. But man, for Purdue in the second half, they had a drive that went 46 yards, sent in a punt. 15 yards, punt. Um, then they had one that went... 58 yards for a missed field goal. They had one uh, 58 yards turnover on downs. 48 yards interception. I mean, that's so many empty possessions. Every single one in the second half, they moved the ball virtually. They moved the ball well on virtually every possession but the one in the second half and came up with no points. Yeah. Yeah, and the, of course, the truth is some of that is going to be on the players to make the big plays. But coaches got to put them in a position to do it, and on a consistent basis, they were not. So, next game we'll be pretty quick to talk about. Ohio State 52, Rutgers 13. Now, I also did not see any of this game because it was the afternoon game. I went to Michigan State's game, so I was already on my way there and getting lunch and tooling around. But I don't know that I missed anything here, and when I opened the box score, it was strange. But I heard the opening notes of the version of Imperial March at the end of episode two played the one where they're showing you like, obviously now the characters know this, but they show you, Hey, here's Palpatine checking out his cool new army. That was kind of the thing I got here when I saw, Oh, look, CJ Stroud's back in the lineup. And uh, that's better than he's done before against the defense. You know, probably not quite as talented as Oregon, but not totally out of that league and no issues. So, well, I mean, so much, yeah, for, so much was, for that quarterback controversy causing them problems. This was a this was a glorified scrimmage after after you know about halfway through the second quarter because the halftime score of this one was forty five to six. Yes, and perusing the Rutgers internet both ahead of my team's matchup with them this weekend to get an idea of what happened here. Evidently, Greg Schiano called a fake punt very early in the proceedings that the fan base is not a huge. Uh, not not especially enamored with. And there seemed to be a feeling that it was a needless risk that at that point they were still in the game. They could have played it safer, had confidence in their defense. Now, I think those are all, you know, kind of I think weird, it's academic. Kind of, right, kind of weird things to say given how, yeah. But I also get wanting to zero in on something like that instead of focusing on the aspect of, oh, yeah, we're just thoroughly outclassed by this opponent, which we're going to see every year. I mean, C.J. Stroud had 14.3 yards per pass attempt. He threw 23 times and got five touchdowns. I mean, what, do you, what are you going to do about that if you're Rutgers? Uh, get, you know, get good. They were able to stop Michigan's offense because they weren't able to 
because dial up that many because explosive Michigan, plays because downfield. Michigan didn't try to throw the ball. Yeah, <laughs> so. they, they 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 were neither able nor willing to dial up explosive plays downfield. Ohio yeah. State's just 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 kind of wants to you know. But yeah, so they want to take the they want to take the rig out for a spin. It's gonna look. It's gonna be a couple weeks here until most people realize this. But Ohio State's going to a playoff again this year. But that's good news for the rest of us because it means one, even if my team were to stumble there, I don't have to play Bama. They they have to do it. And also, it means the rest of us get to fight over the Rose Bowl because it's not a playoff site this year. Well, the other good thing, for me anyway, is that Oregon's loss to Stanford opens up a tremendous circle of trash opportunity here. It does. Because Stanford lost to K-State, correct? Badly. and Very badly. I'll, we'll have to take a look at Kansas State's record and see exactly what... They, they certainly what haven't been good, but... I mean... Yeah, Greg Schiano. The, like the, the picking on Greg Schiano is, although it's mostly academic, it is it is kind of weird that he keeps doing these things because he also had a very very deeply silly uh, trick play against Michigan that didn't work at all, and I have no idea why he even thought that yeah. that a Big Ten defense was going to fall for that. Uh, what I'm saying is, I can't wait for Illinois Utkers. It's gonna be it's gonna be sick. Yeah, like I said, uh, I. <laughs> I understand again that it's premature to say this, but I still, I, in terms of the game day management, I am not at all impressed with Greg Schiano. And maybe I'm going to end up eating those words and regretting it this weekend. But I feel more confident about winning that game than I have about anything other than Youngstown State. I think we're in pretty good position there. So speaking of, we'll move then to Michigan State, forty-eight, Western Kentucky, thirty-one. You may still be able to hear a little bit of the strain in my voice because for four hours as I was in the stands, I was assuring everyone around me that as long as we kept scoring, it doesn't matter how many yards Western Kentucky throws for because they can't punch it in against us consistently and they won't be able to keep up eventually. And that's what happened. This box score is going to tell you that, yeah, (laughs) Bailey Zappi threw it 64 times. I think completed 46 or 48 of those for close to 500 yards. But once the field shrank, Western Kentucky had to settle for three field goals in the first half. And they also later in the game failed on a couple of fourth down conversions. And this was kind of the playbook against Air Raid. If you don't have five or six high caliber defensive backs who can keep up with this number of receivers, playing the bend but don't break style is kind of the best option. That's They've had other results this year. Again, you know, Miami, Nebraska, Northwestern. Opponents will get yards through the air on this defense, but they're going to keep everything in front of them. They're going to force the opponent to prove they can execute an entire drive. And when the opportunities arise, they're going to try to make havoc plays, sacks, turnovers, and they do more of that than they did last year by a mile. So I think that's about all there is to say on that. I'm, I'm not there are four g- different 100-yard receivers in this game. My goodness. Yeah. Two for each team. No, I, <laughs> I will admit, sitting there, I was... In about the same position on the field, much closer to the... I had pretty darn good seats, but... There were... Early... Like, it's, I'd say, like, early third quarter. Because, I mean, the other thing is... Michigan State scored 42 points at halftime. Um, they probably... Set, I, they kicked a couple short field goals where, really... You might, on paper, like to see them assert themselves a bit more. But I also understand the value of continuing to put points up... Given what Western Kentucky was doing, moving the ball. Um, but some of the plays they were running, man, I was like, yeah... That reminds me a lot of Dan Lefevre and Antonio Brown, what this quarterback and uh, that receiver Stearns are doing. And uh, I don't like it. 
but it ended up not mattering because this MSU offense. Uh, yeah, of course, of course, Western Kentucky put up eye popping numbers, but Michigan State put up over 500 yards of offense. So yeah, well, Western really Kentucky, matter. Western Kentucky's defense with is probably better than Youngstown State, but not by much, and it's the worst defense we'll see by a mile. So. I'm not going to get too confident in what this means big picture because they're not going to see a defensive line as weak as this. They're not going to see corners as overmatched as this. I still like what they do from a schematic standpoint. They still have three human highlight reels with Jaden Reed, who, by the way, returned a punt for consecutive weeks. I think the last time that happened at MSU was sometime in the 70s. I saw the date, but I forget. Um, But with him, Jalen Naylor had a big day, Kenneth Walker, it's a lot of stuff for the defense to account for. And Peyton Thorne got involved in the run game as well, which if he's able to do that three, four, five times a game to pick up a few first downs, we might have a little bit of a stew going. Well, uh, certainly hope that it is more robust than the empty little cup of vaguely flavored hot dog water that Indiana was slurping on against Penn State. I actually don't think Indiana is shriveling on offense as much about the Penix at all. You go ahead and giggle. I'll wait. <laughs> this, so, off- this offensive line cannot pass block or run block. Not in the slightest. It's a spot where it's it's hard to hide your talent deficits if you're going to run a more pro-style looking offense like Indiana does. Which is, again, is why historically they've done what Northwestern historically does. More of a spread look, lots of receivers on the field, ball out quick. Don't have to protect the quarterback too much. You're not trying to move people out of the way consistently in the run game. Um, This offensive line is not a match for what they're trying to do on offense, and the results are showing up here. And Penix has not been good this season, not at all. I'm trying to keep in mind that, look, he's coming off a serious knee injury, and it's going to take him a while to get back. But, you know, we are approaching the halfway point of the season here. And with the defects they have on this offense, they need him to be great to win, and he hasn't been. Well, I mean, to your point about it being more down to the rest of the team, I mean, Jack Tuttle came in, and who do you think did better, Jack Tuttle or the Maryland Tuttles? <laughs> I, I like Tuttles. Uh, <laughs> I like Tuttles. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. is it As much as Penix is struggling right now, Tuttle is nothing more than a placeholder. To, like they, they don't have, I think Candy Stripes phrased it this way, they don't have the next quarterback on the roster right now. So um, They do have Davion Irvin Poindexter at running back, continuing that strong Indiana name tradition. Pretty good. Although, again, Ty Freifogel's regression there without his buddy Wop. I mean, I guess that's maybe something that should have been expected. You can't have fries without a Wop. So, a we actually haven't talked at all about Penn State and their 24 points that they scored. Remarkably consistent fashion. 7-7-7-3. Seven, 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 Sean Clifford, not quite as efficient as he had been against Auburn, but still moving the ball plenty fine, completing just over his, half of his passes for three touchdowns, one pick. But I don't think it's out of line to say that Indiana's defense is the best Penn State has played so far. Yeah. I think, I, Auburn does not look like, uh, like, only, like anything special on the defense. Only, the only possible argument would be Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin's defense is, is... Well, Wisconsin's defense is good... But also their offense is actually so bad that it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, that's been what we've seen in the result column. And you're seeing some of that with Indiana, too. I mean, there's... Again, I kept saying that last year, Indiana reminded me a lot of 
the early rise years for D'Antonio. Um, I got to say right now, they're fast forwarding to the 2012 part, which, you know, <clears throat> 2010 and 11 were seasons worth repeating a few other programs. So I don't know why they're fast forwarding through the best scenes in the movie, but here we are. Um, Bullock- Penn State Holden- did run the ball. It yeah, better, one better. Of their most, it was probably the, the, the best performance by the running game for Penn State, especially against a pretty decent Indiana defense. They made uh, they made an effort to spread it around. They gave Kayvon Lee eight carries, and then uh, three players had double-digit carries, if you count Sean Clifford. Not sure how much he should, but he did take off and run a few times. Yeah. It's, well, some of those, I'm sure, are tackles for loss on, you know, pass. But he ended, he netted 58 <laughs> yards. Yeah, so, so. That, mean, that means it's it's really not him just taking sacks and I'm counting as carries. But yes, a little bit more of the design quarterback run. That's historically been a big part of the Franklin offense. All right, so we'll wrap up now with the last game of the week. And one that, that really, frankly, ticked me off because I, I, was just, I outsmarted myself here. This is the only game that I missed in the picks this week. Um, in that Nebraska or that Northwestern did not in fact beat Nebraska, if you can believe that. I almost went perfect in the picks, and then you were just forty nine points away from being perfect. Well, fifty because I picked Northwestern to win. Ah. Um, <laughs> and it, I, I was almost perfect. And then I tried to read the Elder Scroll that is predicting Northwestern football, and uh, then I had to type the outline for this in Braille Blaster because obviously it, it shredded my mind and made me not see that. Northwestern is bad, and Nebraska, despite the loss to MSU, is clearly a team that's playing a lot better. And this should, I, I don't know if I would have expected this outcome by this margin, but the result of Nebraska winning should have been a foregone conclusion. Like, they're the much better team, and just because the calendar turned to October doesn't actually mean the Northwestern's going to get better. Yeah, it's not November yet. Um, but that, all, that all means, I like, have to do yeah. to tell you who won this game is to tell you that Northwestern threw the ball 40 times. Yeah. Northwestern lost. Yeah, they lost. It's just a question about how much. But that being said, I this guy, and when, I, when we're talking about Nebraska-Northwestern, you know exactly who I'm talking about. This, this fucking, fucking guy. guy. After the best scoring game in Nebraska's history in the Big Ten, what does he say to the reporter who's interviewing him? This is what it's supposed to look like. Christ, what an asshole. Now I'm in the position where I'm unreservedly rooting for friggin' Michigan next week. You know what it takes to make me root for Michigan football? I'm gonna I'm gonna defend him here because you can kind of see where he's coming from in that like he had a lot of things on his offense that worked the way they were supposed to. You've seen a lot of it where it hasn't been working for that long, and he said, Well, see, this is what I want my offense to look like. See, this is how it's how it goes when it goes well. I can see him wanting to say, That's not "No, a, this is what I've been." Sure, I mean, sure. Okay. And and you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the best at phrasing things. If I don't think, know. Maybe he's just an awkward asshole. If you think he still deserves the benefit of the doubt after all the stuff he said at various press conferences, that's your. You can. That's your. Call. I mean, I get like. I do not I read find it that myself way. As you got to remember the context of the question. I also get is, that I didn't actually hear the way he said it, but it's a thing where I where it's not like I find myself defending him. It's just that I I. With a lot of these things, I find that, oh, yeah, I can see how he does this individual thing that he says. But when you look at the cumulative results, yeah, it's like, I, okay, this is a pattern. I'm look, When I'm making my sentencing decision on this, I'm looking at a pattern of behavior, okay? And reading that comment, listening to him say it, those words, I do not interpret it as, 
Um, thank, I'm just so happy that my players are finally linking up with the scheme. Everything's working. No, what I heard there was Nebraska is supposed to dominate like this. Fuck that guy. I hope you lose every game the rest of the season. Well, anyway, uh, North or Nebraska rolled up over 400 rushing yards. Uh, Northwestern really couldn't stop them on the ground or through the air. Couldn't make any yardage on them on the ground or through the air. Uh, really was completely helpless. Um, I'm going to be so fucking indescribably <laughs> angry when they're up 28-3 to at yeah, halftime boy. in Champaign. I'm going to be just fucking furious. I will be beside myself. <sighs> what more can I say? Maybe make other plans that weekend. <laughs> Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!